Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for its honesty, its reality, sometimes even its shocking nature. We pray that as we gather around it for these few minutes, you would speak to us through it. Take ancient stories and bring them to life, that we might learn what it means to follow you today. And we ask all this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. I think, as I've mentioned before, one of our uh, favourite uh, pastimes in our house is uh, uh, watching films. We don't do it very often, but usually most weeks we manage to squeeze one in somewhere. And uh, one of the sort of patterns that often happens in films, uh, particularly when there's a journey involved, you know, where one of the characters has to go from this place to this place, is um, that as they're going along, they find a shortcut. They find a shortcut. And they look at the shortcut and they think, shall I go on the shortcut or not? And, you know, after you've watched films for a little while, you start wanting to scream at the television and say, don't take the shortcut, okay? If it wasn't a shortcut, it would be the path, okay? And there's a reason it's not the path, okay? There's something horrid waiting for you, okay? So, but obviously, in order to keep the film alive and going, they take the shortcut and, you know, they get eaten by a wallfall. Something along those lines, okay? Basically, the shortcut is rarely a good idea. Rarely a good idea. And as in films so... It can be in life, can't it? Circumstances uh, can push us individually, or perhaps people that we know uh, push us towards something which feels that it must be possible. It must be advantageous. It must, in some, some sense, be right, even though in one's gut you know that this isn't the right way of getting from A to B, of getting from this point to that point. There is something uncomfortable here. And we can often end up justifying this shortcut, justifying this, uh, this path through a sort of way of saying, well, where I'm going, where I'm getting to, the end justifies how I am going to get there. It's worth it because of what's there at the end. I don't know if you've ever seen the, uh, the little uh, drama documentary, sort of, uh, it's, a, it's a, a set of, a serial on, on, on the BBC called Rev. Have you ever seen Rev? Um, it's about a, a vicar in London. Um, it, it's, you know, it's, it's not for the weak-hearted. It's a, it's a bit close to the knuckle sometimes. I, I, you know, I, it's... it's I'm not like him, okay, just for the record, I'm not like him. But there is an episode of Rev where he's, he's, he's desperate to, to raise some money to fix a window, okay? And the local um, MP uh, turns up, and the local MP will make a decent donation and fix the window so long as the vicar uh, writes the reference to get his daughter into the local church school. He goes to the head teacher and says, can she come? And the head teacher says to her, she can come if you let my sister have the wedding at the church on the date I want her to have it on. 
Okay, so it's getting complicated, isn't it? It's getting complicated. The point is, there's somebody else already booked in for a wedding that day. And it's a, just a normal family from the parish. Working class, London, normal parish. So what does he do? Does he go to the family who got their wedding booked and say, I need to move it and get his window fixed, okay? Or does he say, no, you can't do that, and he doesn't get his window fixed? Do the end justify the means? Fortunately, on this occasion, he gets it right, and he won't move it, and I can't remember how to get the window fixed, but they get it fixed another way, okay? The point is, there are in life, aren't they, these shortcuts, these moments when you think, well, I know the path goes like that, but if I just did that, it would be quicker and easier, and we would get there. In our reading today, we see one of these shortcuts. We're looking at these passages from the very early parts of the story of the Bible for this couple, Abraham and Sarah, who are the start of the nation of Israel and who ultimately uh, will be at the top of the family tree that brings us Jesus. And they have been promised that they'll be taken to this new country, this new land, and there they will have a child who will uh, be the sort of sign and seal of God's promise to them. But you might have just, mentioned, just picked up uh, in the reading that 10 years have elapsed. They've made the journey, they've set up camp, and 10 years have elapsed. And there is no sign of this promised child. Ten years have elapsed. And Sarah begins to worry. Sarah begins to become anxious. Sarah says, how is this promise going to be fulfilled? And you can hear the hurt in her voice. The Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my servant perhaps i can build a family through her this is real and honest and painful and so sarah looks for a shortcut she sees hagar presumably a younger woman who is her in personal servant, her, the one presumably who uh, she has in her tent who helps look after her because Abraham and Sarah were reasonably well-off people. And she says, look, this servant belongs to me. A child of a servant would belong to me. Can I force God's hand? Is this the way of taking this piece of the jigsaw and this piece of the jigsaw and forcing them together? Perhaps unsurprisingly, Abraham agrees. He's in his 80s and here is a young woman. But in the story, you immediately see the violations that happen the marriage between Abraham and Sarah is, of course, damaged. This young girl presumably had no choice in this. She presumably damaged. But most of all, 
the promise of God to this couple damaged. And as she conceives and as she begins to uh, sort of grow in her pregnancy, the relationship between her and Sarah is damaged and leads to suffering, cruelty and rejection. And off she goes out into the desert. A shortcut which is entirely understandable. Ten years have elapsed, no sign of the promise. Human frustration, impatience, it's all entirely understandable, isn't it? Let's take this shortcut. Surely the end justifies the means. Where we are getting to makes this shortcut okay. But it doesn't. It doesn't. And as I say, there are all these violations. Now God, in his generosity, in his kindness, in his ability for nothing uh, to, to be outside his purposes, he comes. And it's almost as if he collects Hagar in the desert, picks her up and gently assures her that he has not forgotten her and that he will bless her and that somehow his promise to Abraham and Sarah does also include Hagar and does also include the fruit of Hagar's womb. He has not forgotten her. His grace and his mercy have not been violated. And so he brings her back. But nonetheless, the shortcut has not worked. The shortcut cut has not led to the blessing and the fulfillment of the promise and the start of the people of God. And Abraham and Sarah are left wounded, almost licking those wounds and saying, all right, we got this wrong. We have to go back to patiently waiting and trusting in the goodness of God. We have obeyed. We are here. We are ready. Now we must wait for him. I wonder if this rings any bells for you. And I wonder if you are ever tempted to take shortcuts. I wonder about your sense of yourself. Where does that come from? As Christians, we know ultimately that our sense of ourselves comes from the fact that we are created in the image of God, that we are loved by him, that Jesus has died for us, that the Holy Spirit dwells within our lives, that we are precious sons and daughters of the King. He is the one who gives us purpose and meaning and security and direction. But do we live like that? Or do we live like people who are desperately seeking the affirmation and approval of others? 
people who desperately want the, to be please, pleasers, somebody who want to look a particular way because then I'll be all right, who want a particular job because then I'll be all right, who want a particular achievement because then I'll be all right, who want a particular set of people to say yes to us because then I'll be all right. Do you know that shortcut, do you know where that leads? It leads to just doing it more and more. Because the brief moment of affirmation, the brief moment of approval, passes. And we find ourselves needing to go back and back and back and to work harder and harder and harder in order to gain the approval of other people to make us feel that we have worth. It's a horrible shortcut that leads to a dead end. And instead, we have to take the longer route, the harder route of remembering every day that we are created in the image of God and that he loves us just as we are. That he cannot love us anymore and that nothing we can ever do will make him love us more. Try saying that when you look in the mirror tomorrow morning. I am loved by God and he cannot love me any more than he loves me at this moment. Okay? Mutter that while you're cleaning your teeth. It's really important. Because if we can live like that, suddenly we're set free from a whole shed load of things which can damage us and pull us down and spoil the joy which he intends for his children. That shortcut leads nowhere. Perhaps in our, in our church, uh, how, how might there be some shortcuts that we, that we want to take, that we, we sort of desperately want our church to be um, accepted, approved, welcomed, somehow affirmed by, by, the, by wider society. Somehow want to make our church appealing. Please don't misunderstand me. I don't think we should go out of our way to make church look unappealing. But we are the people of God. We belong to him. We are different. We should be different. It's not a problem. Allow us to be who we are, the people of God, being, cre being formed into uh, a kingdom of, of priests, the, the, those wonderful uh, pictures we get in 1 Peter, a royal nation, a holy priesthood, being built together into a temple to offer worship to Almighty God. He's at work in us to transform us into the people that, that he wants us to be. And it's tempting to think of shortcuts. Well, if we could just do that, or we could just do that, or if we could just be like that. Let him fulfill his purposes in us personally, in our church, and in our world. It is right to look out at the world and to, to see, to see how far short of the promises of God, the coming of his kingdom, our world falls. It is right. 
And I think we should continue to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. But not to take shortcuts. To remember that ultimately it is only the reign and rule of God, the coming of the king, that will put all things right. So what am I asking you to do this morning? I am asking you to trust again in the goodness of God. The goodness of God in your life. The goodness of God in our church and the goodness of God in our world. Even when the evidence may not be there. Even when we may doubt. Even when we may say to him, how long do I have to wait for this promise to be fulfilled? Trust in the goodness of God and be ready. I don't mean be passive. I don't mean just sit back. I think there is such a thing as active waiting. I think we should actively wait for the, to see the goodness of God. We have a, a, a healing service coming up at the end of, all, at the end of October. And, I, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling very much in two minds about it, okay? Part of me is really excited, part of me is scared witless, okay? Because I think God, you know, what happens if God does turn up? What's he going to do? To actively wait, to pray, Lord, please come. Please come in me. Please come in our church. Please come in our world. To pray, to be ready, to look. We want to see the fulfillment of your promises. We believe that you are good. We don't want to take shortcuts. You come and do your thing. Amen. We're going to sing together, and uh, Lawrence and Magus and Seth will lead us in a couple of songs together now. <laughs>